you kind of mentioned whenever you moved to LA that a, a dam burst. So I guess the, what are the cultural differences that you experienced whenever you moved to LA and sort of seeing that different kind of life? And especially with, uh, Terry's sort of rising star and how that kind of influenced you and your family. Well, I would say the the first cultural difference I experienced moving to Los Angeles is that the houses are very close together. And so the neighbors are a little more private. They're a little more private. Um, everybody kind of keeps to themselves, even though it's kind of a like a postage stamp yard. Like you literally, when you're in your driveways, you could reach out and touch <laughs> the, the lady next to you. Um, it's almost like being on an airplane. People act like you're not there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was a little culturally shocked by the lack, the initial lack of friendliness. However, when I moved to Pasadena, the people here are very friendly. And I've lived in Pasadena for over 20 years and the people here are very warm. Um, the other cultural difference was just how much driving, you know, there's, freeways everywhere and you have to have maps to get around when I first moved here I had one of those Thomas guides you know the big map with a hundred thousand pages and having been a football wife I always knew how to find my way around a new city because my husband played on seven teams in six years so we lived in six different cities you know including Europe so I was good at navigating but um California was a challenge I mean you had to drive Third, everywhere was 30 minutes away. And um, yeah, and then the different cultures, but I wasn't surprised by the different cultures because my hometown of Gary, we had a very diverse kind of immigrant population in Gary because people came from all over to work in the steel mill. So we had Hungarians, we had Polish, we had Mexican, Puerto Rican, Greek, Italian, um, Serbian, you know, so we had all those cultures and they all had their own festivals and their own fairs and their own churches. And, you know, the kids in my class all had these long, funny last names, you know what I mean? With Josiak and Stephanopoulos, and, you know, we, we had this very diverse um, community going to college at Western Michigan. It was mostly black and white people, not a lot of Hispanic not a lot of Asian. And so there did tend to be an element of racism mm. at the university where we, you know, we had the black student union, we had the black fraternities and sororities and the white ones and everybody kind of stuck to themselves. So I, I personally was excited to move to LA because I expected it to be this kind of rich melting pot. But I found that LA, LA is a little bit ghettoized. You know, you've got little Korea, little wherever, you know, little Chinatown. And um, other than work, people tend to go back to their little enclaves. Mm. And, um, but Pasadena is a very, um, you find people living and working next to each other here in great diversity. Yeah. I was going to ask if has the, I mean, obviously being all over the world and all over the U.S. Uh, probably changes who you are and what you are writing about. What has all of your travels done to shape 
what kind of music you're making, what you're writing about. And do you think that, I mean, do you look back at songs that you wrote living in a different place and go like, oh man, I, I don't know if I sort of feel that way anymore or you know what I mean? I would say that my music was more influenced by American artists that I was listening to no matter where I was living. Um, I have an era where I wrote a lot of jazz influence music because I was playing Erica Badu, you know. Mm. I have an era where I wrote a lot of pop singer songwriter because I was listening to um, Adele, you know, or I was listening to Alicia Keys, you know. So I can't say that the places I lived necessarily influenced the music because musically I always pulled from three main genres. That was the Christian industry, like the CCM and the gospel industries, which are two, two very different sounds, you know, uh, R&B, and then the kind of pop singer-songwriter category. Mm-hmm. And even though jazz influenced my writing, I, ha- I wasn't trying to be a jazz artist. So I just incorporated a little bit of jazz in my writing. So I wouldn't say that the places I lived changed my writing all that much, to be honest, because I was always connected to um, genres of music that I knew I loved. Yeah. I've I've spoken to a lot of musicians uh, over the years through this podcast, and I've, I've come to find that a lot of times nowadays, people are straying away from the idea of genre, that they're everything is so combined and mixed together now that it it seems like genres now are sort of three word combinations of a bunch of different genres and everyone is is you know and that's kind of how music gets innovated anyways and so i mean yeah because name a pop song that doesn't have a rap uh, a rap in it right or or that trap style drum beat or a lot of electronic sounds and everything is is so shaped by each other it's calculated because the record companies want to grab Travis Scott's fan they want to grab you know um Ariana Grande fan so they merge people together hoping to get as many fans together so that the record will go platinum so they mix the sounds on purpose I think at the same time, though, for me as a composer and, and singer-songwriter, the, I, I do that myself, just trying to kind of stay out of maybe the same place that I've been for a long time. And it's like, I feel like I've written too many uh, kind of acoustic-type songs. Let me see what I can do if I if I mix something else in here. And so it is kind of a little bit of a sneaky eating its own tail where it's like, we're, we're trying to make something new and then sometimes, yeah, you're trying to appeal to something, but then other times it's just, oh, I like this thing. How do I incorporate, uh, I mean, like you're saying, in, incorporate this jazz thing in here, incorporate this rock thing in here, incorporate this pop thing in here. And so it is interesting how uh, maybe it's just become harder to describe genres nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I describe myself as an adult contemporary R&B artist because there are songs on my project that are not Mm R&B, you know, so I have to use both those labels. 
However, um, maybe because I'm not working for a label and I'm not a songwriter for hire, I'm not that calculated. Like for me, I write from a place that's kind of emotional and organic in the sense that first I get an idea or a theme and then maybe this little melody comes to me on the piano. And then one day as I'm playing that melody, the words start to come, you know? And so for me in the production process, me and the producer sometimes go, oh, let's give it this groove or this vibe. But just from as a writer, I'm not thinking about, I want it to, well, I can't say that because after many times after I've written a song, I hear in my head the beat I want. And I actually have a, a Roland Phantom in my studio. So on the keyboard, I program the drums, I program the bass, the strings, the little effects, the chimes, percussion. And then I send that kind of demo version to the producer. So just like what you want to do. I knew exactly how I wanted it to sound. Like a little R. Kelly, little Isley Brothers, you know. Don't stay out late. I, I knew the vibe I wanted. And so if you heard the demo I sent him, it sounds not too much unlike what he did. Of course, he did it better. That's what he does. So um, in the actual writing of the song, I'm coming purely from the emotion, the basic melody, and the basic chord structure. You know, that's really it. I, I, many of my songs just started out as this little, it almost sounds like a cantata. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like these chords and these melodies. And then the last thing that I add is the groove versus I know people who write from the groove. Mm -hmm. They come up with a beat. Then they come up with a, you know, a guitar riff. And then they come up with a bass line. Then they sing, they send that to a top line and they write the song from the bottom up. So depends on what your strength is, you know? Yeah. I do find that I, I end up kind of doing either side that there's like two kind of brain spaces that I'm following whenever I'm writing, which is like one is sort of letting the song tell you what it wants to be or what it wants to sound like. And then the other side is you're sort of, you kind of have to build it from the ground up. And it's like, I know that this is something that I want to do, but I'm kind of seeking it out here. And you, some songs you kind of have to work with and, and do a process rather than letting it come to you. But it, Especially <laughs> if you're on a deadline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I guess what... What tools do you use to get through those blocks whenever the the song just isn't coming to you? Hmm. You know, there's nothing better than having a good old fashioned deadline to get out of a block because there was one song we did. I didn't have a bridge to it. And I know a lot of songs today don't even have bridges, but I'm old fashioned and I like a bridge. Mm -hmm. And um, it just doesn't feel like a song with no bridge to me. Right. And nowadays they use like a rap hook as a bridge or they use a, um, a vocalist as a bridge, like do a little vocal breakdown, you know. But um, I just found that when I have to, 
suddenly I have an idea, <laughs> you know, whereas for months it was sitting there with no bridge. But once we were going to the studio, I was like, this needs a bridge or this needs a rap. Like in my next single, I have a single called Reaching for the Top. Um, while we were doing the demo, out of the blue, I completely freestyled this rap mm. over the second chorus. I've never rapped before, but as a songwriter, I knew I could freestyle. And I freestyled this rap and it ended up in the final production. And I'm not a rapper in, by, by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination, but I rapped on the song because it just felt like it needed a little voiceover. And I threw it in and the producer liked it, you know? So, and it just erupted out of that demo session, you know? Then, and then when I tried to improve on it, I tried to, you know, actually write it and make it better. It just sucked. It just kept getting worse. <laughs> and so we were like, you know, let's keep what's on the demo because that sounds good, you know, because that's what we did just off the head, just unconscious on the fly. And it came from a pure place. Sometimes it helps a lot to not be so, so sacred with it and just letting it be exactly what it is. You know, it's like, you know, it's a little, maybe it's a little silly or maybe it's a little, you know, unorthodox but like it is kind of exactly where it needs to be and then and then the stuff happens where you like listen to it so many times that you're like man I just can't hear it any other way now <laughs> right right you get that demoitis <laughs> mm -hmm. is I guess is there something that well I don't know the the idea that I'm going towards is like so I Whenever I first started putting out music, I kind of made the conscious decision to not have a pseudonym that, like, my name is Santiago Ramones, and, like, Santiago Ramones is everything that I do, and that I kind of did that deliberately so that I wouldn't get stuck into a genre that, you know, a lot of times people have artist names. It's like, oh, that's just an R&B singer, or that's just a, a rock band, and that's everything that they do. And then whenever they musically evolve inevitably they end up doing something else or getting more of a pop feel or whatever it might be and people kind of turn against them do you feel like you have that limitation as an artist or are you not really interested yet in sort of going outside of the I guess the adult contemporary type genre whatever that really means actually <laughs> Yeah. Um, one, I define adult contemporary by kind of the era of music that I came up in. So like I consider Pink like adult contemporary or like Adele because it's kind of story driven. It's instrumental. Um, its focus is, um, you know, to the emotion, to the heart versus it being... Um, focused on the dancing or focused on the, the beat. Um, but as far as transitioning as an artist, one of my inspirations in this lane is No Doubt. Mm. I remember how when No Doubt first emerged, they were like a local ska band. They were kind of ska punk, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Gwen Stefani had her little ratty ponytails and her ripped up clothes. And then their biggest pop hit was Don't Speak, which has a Latin flavor. 
And then they did an album full of dance tracks, you know, and then they moved into some more pops kind of stuff and electronic. Like every album was almost a different genre with and with different songs, you know, and within the album, different songs were different genres. And they just really put out the music they just freaking wanted to do. Yeah. And they did it well. And thank God they had a label that said, okay, we love it. Let's put it out, you know, Mm -hmm. because a lot of labels are so business minded. They just want to copy what you did the last time because it worked. And they kill these poor artists careers, you know, instead of letting them just create and evolve. And I remember saying that about No Doubt. I said, they're one of the few bands I've ever seen just be everywhere in genre and just keep putting out hits. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, it does seem like the something that I find myself continually saying is that the closer that an artist is to the final product, whatever kind of art that is, whether it's a, it's a film and it's a director or whether it's a musician and their album, the closer the artist is to that process, the better it comes out because you have a more complete vision. But the more people, the more committees, the more executives that you start bringing in that start you know, what if this, or you have to do this and everything just kind of diminishes. Or some hit hit song drops on the charts and they go, Mm -hmm. we got to do something like that. You know, that's a sure sign you've got the wrong people running your career. Cause (laughs) you know, I love Clive Davis's story. You know, Clive was a musician and Clive just kind of listened to his gut. And I remember listening to an interview with Kenny G one time. He said, Clive, he's a gut guy. He makes decisions on the gut. And he said, I played him this song. He said, don't ever give Clive a song that's not mastered. He'll put it out just like that. (laughs) And literally, Kenny's it was one of Kenny's biggest hits. And I can't remember which one it was. But it was one of his first big hits in the smooth jazz, you know, category. And, And he said that Clive took the record. He said, I'm putting it out just like that. He's like, Clive, it's not mastered. It's not, he said, people don't care if it's mastered. And Clive put the record out unmastered straight to radio. Cause he just said, it's a hit. He just knew right off the bat. And um, look how many great careers he guided, you know because he just knew good music and he wasn't trying to overthink everything, you know? Yeah. Do you think that, I guess, Nowadays, since everything is so singles driven, is the album dead? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. In fact, my I was just listening this morning to Solange, A Seat at the Table. And I love, love that record. I I, I think that she was um she was robbed. I think mm-hmm. Solange should have gotten much more, much more recognition for Seat at the Table. I thought it was an excellent album. I play it from start to finish every time I play it. Well done, well done, well done. The interludes are awesome. The guest stars are awesome. The theme of the album is is very upfront and present. Uh, The lyrics are poetic. The melodies and the beats are thumping. Every song, you know, just has a groove and you can listen to the lyrics and groove along. Um, I thought it was a masterpiece. And I understand she did win a Grammy or at least a Soul Train Award for Cranes in the Sky. But I thought that the whole album was 
Timeless. Still one of my favorite records. Mm. And I don't think she got nearly enough credit or recognition for how great that record was. It, it just seems like the um, the streaming era has kind of taken over. And, you know, if you're not hooked in the first 10 seconds, then you're getting skipped. And so that that is why, you know, you mentioned earlier, people don't really write bridges anymore or songs are getting shorter. I get annoyed by these long electronic um, intros. Like I listen, like say I open a, a new music playlist or a R&B playlist. Everything has this little electronic slow beginning. And I'm like, skip, skip. You got to come in with the beat for me. Like I love Khalid. I think Khalid is amazing. And when I heard his single, can we just talk? Can we just talk? I was like, now that's R&B songwriting. Mm -hmm. You can sing along. It's a hit. <laughs> Half these songs, I'm like, what? Is, I can't even understand what they're saying. Mumble, they're mumbling and everything else. <laughs> you know, I really love Billie Eilish, too. Because mm -hmm. I love the simplicity and the clarity of her songs. Mm -hmm. You know, they, yes, they're emotional and all that. And crying teenagers, but. It's great writing. It's great writing. And Brother Phineas, he's the bomb. He really is. Yeah. What a dynamic duo. It does seem like the production is shaping the the song as much as the the songwriter itself. And that's why that that teamwork, that combination, you know, it's like Missy and Timbaland. Where would they be without each other? You know, um, Raphael Sadiq is the is the mastermind behind a lot of the beats on Solange's album. So though she wrote the songs, he put the beats, you know? Um, and, and that just goes without saying that who you collaborate with is important, you know? Um, I really like the producers I've worked with on this record and I'll use them again. Um, but it's because they took what I heard in my head and made it better, you know? When I wrote What You Want to Do, I heard it. I gave him the little idea. He made it better. Mm -hmm. To the point where when, when, as I heard him putting the song together, I was in the background screaming, ah, <laughs> that's hot, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. If you don't hear me holler, then you're about to lose your deposit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, there is a lot of times where I do find that I want a song to go further, like just something else to like get it in there or, or something to really push it past just like, uh, and maybe that kind of goes back to the, the genre combining thing that we were talking about earlier, but like, it does seem like a lot of times there's a, a focus on trying to make the song, but then I love it whenever songs go beyond the song and go, this is something that I never would have thought could have been in this song. Uh, I think more songs need saxophone solos, for example. Uh, saxophone solo has been long gone for a while, and man, some songs just need a good saxophone solo. <laughs> Santiago, I have a song on my record called Fairy Tale, and I told the guy, I said, I want saxophone in this song, because it's kind of a late 80s Hall & Oates Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald vibe, right? I said, I want some sax. So finally he put some sax in, in the third chorus. 
I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, ma- it makes the song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the thing that there's sometimes it's just one thing that like you throw in there and it's, oh, yep, this is this is exactly where I was going. And there's a lot of times that I hear songs on the radio or songs that come up on a playlist. And I'm like, I just need just one little more thing to really push it over the edge. And this would be like on on my playlist, you know, <laughs> what are you listening to that you think is really pushing the boundaries and really making yeah like pushing forward into the future of what we're doing in in the music industry wow lately i've actually been playing a lot of gospel uh probably with this pandemic you know we need a lot of faith a lot of people going through a lot of things and um i'm really loving this group called maverick city music and uh, maverick city was started as a songwriters consortium and these are basically non-white people singing CCM. So they're African-American, Hispanic, you know, traditionally non-white people singing worship that's soulful, but it's not gospel. Mm -hmm. So it's almost this hybrid of like the CCM with the gospel. And they're just kind of breaking barriers and they're having these, you know, viral hits. They had a hit with a song called Refiner's Fire another one called Promises, and now they have a new song out called Gyra. And these kids are like, I see why they called it Maverick City, because they're kind of breaking stereotypes about what Christian music should sound like, and then also who should sing it, you know? So a bunch of Black kids singing this acoustic, rock-sounding, yet still soulfully and gospelly sounding music. So it's all acoustic instruments. So it makes you feel like you're back in the 70s, you know, with the Jesus Freaks, Mm -hmm. just in a studio with acoustic piano, acoustic guitar, a little bit of organ. And then this huge kind of ragtag chorus of 20-somethings praising God like crazy. I love it. They're they're so awesome. Um, On the secular end, who am I listening to right now? I love, like I said, I love Billie Eilish in the R&B world. Can't say that I'm feeling anybody right now. I'm waiting for SZA to do something new. I know SZA um, had voice issues, voice injury. Mm. Um, Trying to think if there's anybody that I'm... Lettucey. Lettucey is another one that I love. Lettucey just won her first Grammy. Um, I like her. But um, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm a little locked into the gospel stuff right now. Just been a lot of, like I said, we lost a lot of people, been a lot of rough times. So keeping my hope alive every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that, and I guess I wanted to relate a little bit. I know that uh, beginning of last year, you uh, had the, the breast cancer diagnosis. And I... Uh, my mom had breast cancer when I was a lot younger and she was basically raising three kids by herself and dealing with chemotherapy and still working and cleaning houses and all of that. So um, I really uh, feel that, that, uh, you know, having, having to live through that and, and be a parent and, and having to uh, go through that. But uh, I guess, 
Can you speak a little bit about that? Um, well, it was last year around February or March that I was first diagnosed. And I had my surgery on March 3rd, exactly one week before the country sh shut down. And um, I was very thankful to be alive. I'll tell you that. Um, God warned me that I should go check myself. I did not have a symptom. I did not see a lump. But the ultrasound revealed it. And once they gave me the diagnosis, I knew what I had to do. I did them double mastectomy. There was no cancer in my lymph node. So I did not undergo chemo or radiation. And I'm glad to be alive. I've got one year cancer-free and I'm expecting to be cancer-free till the day I leave the planet. And um, I'm so sorry to hear that your mother went through that when you were young and endured the chemo and everything. That's a lot. I was right in the middle of um, managing my son because in late January, he got cast on that show. So I, part of the reason I got my surgery so quick is because I harassed the doctors because I said, my son starts his show in March and I have to drive him to work. So we got to do the surgery, get me recovering so I can take my son to work. And they're like, we'll try. And I said, look, you don't book me, I'll go to someone else. And they booked me. <laughs> Next thing you know, I was recovering with bandages and tubes and taking my son to set. And we did um, about a week or two of pre-production shut down. Mm -hmm. And as we shut down, daddy came home and everybody came home and we had to send the housekeeper out. And so we had to all take care of each other. So mommy got special treatment for about, oh, maybe three weeks. And I was pretty good. I was up and at them and I was off painkillers after about two or three weeks. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm very thankful. Get yourselves checked, ladies. Do it every year. Catch it early. The earlier you catch it, the greater your survival chances. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm sure your, your kids are incredibly grateful to still have you around grateful that you caught it early and I'm I'm incredibly grateful that my mom is still around still cancer free and the uh yeah so it kind of what what you were saying earlier about the the medical miracles that you know have been making us optimistic about the future that's that's one of those things that yeah <laughs> um well Rebecca again thank you so much for doing this with me uh where can we find you and your things you can find me at Rebecca King Cruz on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also go to reginamadremusic.com and find out about the singles and the album. And um, yeah, follow me on all social media uh, to keep up with us. We've got the book coming out with Audible, Stronger Together with Terry and Rebecca Cruz. And more music coming between now and the summer and into the fall. And then clothing, fashion, and beauty line coming up. Um, planning to launch in October of 2021. That sounds awesome. Once again, thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Rebecca King Cruz. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. I have an EP, a short album, that is streaming everywhere right now. It's called Soundbites. The music you're hearing right now is from Soundbites. 
Listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you stream music, or buy it on Bandcamp, because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for a year. I'm also working on another album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Santiago Ramones. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with all the stuff that I'm doing, both at bit.depth and at Santiago Ramones Music. There's also a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. Go to santiagoramones.com slash discord to join. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews by saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I really couldn't be doing this without you, and I am so very grateful to continue doing BitDepth for this long. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.